Live around the globe, it's time for Rudy Max's World on the SSI Radio Network. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Get on the phone now and call 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. And now, the savvy traveler himself, Rudy Maxa. Welcome back to Rudy Maxa's World. I am Rudy Maxa indeed. And this is the show in which we consider all things travel every weekend. So glad you can join us this weekend. I uh, have taken on the road. Uh, I've Took the road on. What am I trying to say? I took the, took to the road this weekend. I'm broadcasting from Meadowood Resort here in the heart of California's Napa Valley. Uh, this weekend is about the halfway point of an annual event here called the 12 Days of Christmas at Meadowood. It's a celebration of food and wine. It involves about a dozen chefs from around the world and Napa vintners who bring their talents to bear for 12 dinners. Anyone can attend if they can get a reservation and afford the $1,000 a night. That includes lodging and dinner and wine, by the way, so it's not that bad when you think about it. Uh, and the event this year runs from December 2nd to the 17th. So if you happen to be cruising around the Napa Valley area, you've got a few more days to take advantage of this. This hour, we're going to meet with Faith DeLucio. She is the Napa-based co-author of a series of books you've probably seen that document what the world eats, what families around the world own, uh, and an entire picture book and word book on eating bugs that they published a few years ago. Her latest book, produced in conjunction with her husband, Peter Menzel, is called What I Eat Around the World in 80 Days. We're also going to talk with the author and photographers of a book focused entirely on the Napa Valley. Uh, Charles O'Rear is the photographer, and Daphne Larkin is the writer. It's a very heavy coffee table book. I'm holding it here, and it's uh, quite handsome. Um, we'll also tell you a little bit. Well, I'm going to wait till uh, Charles comes on and ask him about his iconic uh, screensaver that Microsoft uh, puts up. You've probably seen it. He took that photograph, I understand. Uh, we're also going to meet the wine director of Meadowood. No small job in this part of America where wine is revered and discussed endlessly. I got to tell you, I don't know that I'd like to be a wine director in a restaurant here with all these vintners around me. You can't, can't stock all the wine. We'll ask him how he uh, does that diplomatically. First, let's take a little bit of let's take a quick look at some of the news and travel this week. Well, FAA Administrator Randy Babbitt resigned on Tuesday. Uh, he was arrested Saturday night in a D.C. suburb, Fairfax, Virginia, for driving on the wrong side of the street. Always a bad idea. He uh, uh, he removed himself from his job while his employment was under review on Monday, and 24 hours later. He had resigned. That didn't take long. Babbitt's a former airline captain with Eastern Airlines. He's also a past president of the Airline Pilots Association. And, of course, drinking and piloting don't go together. So even though he's not actively a commercial pilot now, I guess uh, image-wise, it just wasn't a good thing for him to stay on. An 85-year-old grandmother using a walker uh, said she's going to sue the TSA for what she says was an unwarranted strip search at New York's JFK Airport. She'd arrived at the JetBlue terminal to take a flight to Fort Lauderdale, and she asked if she could avoid the full body scan because she feared it would interfere with her defibrillator. She expected to receive a normal pat-down, but said instead she was taken into a private screening room by TSA agents who then took off her clothes. Said Lenora Zimmerman from Long Beach, New York, quote, I weigh 110 pounds, 107 without clothes, and I was strip-searched. I walk with a walker. I really look like a tourist, unquote. Now, for its part, the TSA says it's reviewed security tapes and that the passenger, that would be Lenore Zimmerman, requested a private screening and that no rules were violated. The grandmother, however, did miss her flight. 
A little more positive note for the much-beleaguered TSA, at least much-beleaguered in the press. Uh, TSA said that explosive experts found and removed five grenades in a passenger's bag last Saturday. The passenger was headed to Belgium. We've talked about Boeing's new 787 Dreamliner here. We had an engineer from Boeing on the show a few weeks ago talking about uh, what was uh, the latest and greatest in the new Dreamliner. Well, that big passenger jet with the oversized windows and other bells and whistles has just embarked on a worldwide sales tour that will last six months and take it around the world. This is an attempt by Boeing to get potential customers enthusiastic about the plane that showed up three years late after its promised debut date. The first 787 was delivered, however, in September to all Nippon Airways, ANA, and Japan. And while a number of international carriers have orders in, some airlines have canceled because of the long wait and looked for alternatives. Right now, Boeing is turning out two and a half 787s a month in its facilities, but it's hoping it can produce 10 a month by the end of 2013. Meanwhile, the plane's first stop on this uh, around-the-world promotion trip was Beijing, where China Eastern Airlines canceled an order for 24 of the Dreamliners in October. Boeing, and I think this is a bit of a rationalization, said it didn't lose a customer because the airline just switched its order and bought 45 of their smaller 737s. I think in PR parlance, that's called spinning. Now, if you think you're the only one in the world who weighs the value of the U.S. dollar against the euro or pound or peso before traveling, the Wall Street Journal this week had a front-page piece I found interesting. The story focused on rock tour managers who are steering their bands away from touring in Europe next year because they fear the euro the euro will be worth so much less than the dollar that they might lose money on the deal. I thought this was a new twist. Rock managers as uh, uh, currency traders, which is really what they're doing here. The manager of Metallica, for example, is moving up the date of a European tour before the euro crashes, something he thinks might happen in the wake of Europe's debt troubles. That's interesting. I wonder if he's shorting the euro. The Red Hot Chili Peppers are concerned about currency fluctuations while traveling as well. That group's manager booked a Latin American tour in four years, excuse me, uh, be, uh, four, four, uh, four years ahead because he thinks that he won't take a, a haircut by, fall, uh, by failing currencies. Here's another thing. If you, think of, uh, if you think planning a family vacation is complicated because of schedule conflicts, pity Metallica's manager, the aforementioned Cliff Bernstein. He's got to take into consideration all his band members' requirements as they pertain to child custody issues, parent-teachers conferences, school vacations, and other red-letter days for families. You know, when I think about it, it must have been so much easier to be a rock concert promoter back in the days when all the band members were 19 years old. Now they're like 60 years old. They've got divorce. They've got divorce settlements. They've got kids of, from ages 5 to 20. Uh, if you're one of those folks who are fascinated by all things Titanic, then you better act quickly if you want to descend two miles to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean to view the wreckage of that famous cruise ship. Deep ocean expeditions will take you today uh, and two other people in a tiny submersible so you can look through a five- or eight-inch portal at the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean floor. The descent takes two and a half hours and costs, get this, $60,000. Well, that's because the trip involves a two-week cruise as well as a dive. Still, $60,000, that's an expensive cruise. But Deepwater Expedition says it's stopping after its next season. It's discontinuing the underwater sightseeing trips. Uh, a Russian Mir submersible may step in next summer to take its place. They say you'll be able to pack a lunch and dress warmly to check out the wreck. However, the Russians advise you there are no toilet facilities aboard that tightly packed submersible. This April is the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, and if you're not inclined to dive deep, there'll be no shortage of themed dinner parties, including one being held by the Titanic Historical Society, during which guests will be asked to dress as an officer, crew member, or passenger. And this is a quote, to, to create the ambience of a festive maiden voyage, unquote. 
as we all know, that festive maiden voyage turned into an enormous disaster. Here's a footnote. The director of the big movie, the one that made so much money, titled Titanic, that's James Cameron, he's said to have made the dive to see what's left of the ship more than two dozen times. It's a brave guy. When we come back here in Rudy Max's World, we're going to talk with an author-photographer couple, uh, Chuck O'Rear uh, uh, and his wife Daphne Larkin, about a book called Napa Valley, The Land, The Wine, The People. It's a beautiful coffee table book, and you're going to meet them right here in Rudy Max's World in a moment. Stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Rudy Max's World phone lines are open now, so call us at 800-387-8025. We'll be back after these messages. Ireland invites you to the exclusive Cliff Corknickles. Intrigued by Cliff Corknickles? It's simple. After gasping at the Cliffs of Moor, too exhausted to talk, one starts listening to the chronicles of the locals in Cork, known for spinning a good yarn. Bring a fresh pot of tea, because in a land famous for its wool, the yarn can last all night. Cliffs of Moor, Cork, Chronicles, Cliff Corknickles. Flex that mouth and brace those ears. Take a vacation from the typical vacation. DiscoverIreland.com. Find great value vacation offers at DiscoverIreland.com. Well, I'm a salesman, and I'm on my feet all day long, so comfort's really important to me. That's why I tried the Profoot 2-ounce Miracle insoles. Only the 2-ounce Miracle is made with custom-forming Vitafoam to keep your feet steady and comfortable. The Profoot 2-ounce Miracle insoles conform to the unique shape of your feet, just like custom orthotics. Plus, they cushion and support your feet for amazing comfort. What a huge difference they make. It's really a miracle. Try the Profoot 2-ounce Miracle insole, available at Walgreens, Rite Aid, and other fine stores. In need of comfort? Look to two American icons, the Company Store and the Lacrosse Comforter. Available in down and down-free options in four warmth levels and 14 colors. For over 100 years, no one gives you more choices and better quality than the Company Store. Go to thecompanystore.com and enter code COMFORT to receive 15% off your entire order and free shipping. That's thecompanystore.com. The Company Store. Comfort that fits your life. I'm sure you're thinking, boy, I'd like to pay less for my car insurance, but switching seems like a lot of work. All the hassle and whatnot. Well, I'm here to tell you that is simply not the case. Geico makes it so easy to switch and start saving money straight away without getting buried in a ton of paperwork. You know, that actually happened to me once. Literally, I was buried under my income taxes for six days. Haunting, really. For a free rate quote, visit Geico.com. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. The telephone number to call the program is 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at RudyMaxa.com. Here again is Rudy Maxa. And this segment of Rudy Maxa's World is brought to you by DiscoverIreland.com forward slash West Coast. With breathtaking landscapes, a truly authentic cultural heritage, and local people you'll adore, the West Coast of Ireland is yours to discover. I can attest to that. If you uh, are a loyal listener to the show, you know we did two shows from Ireland last month. What a great place. Western Ireland, to be specific. You can find more information at discoverireland.com forward slash West Coast, or just go to the, go to the radio show website at rudymaxa.com and click uh, right on the homepage there under sponsored. I'm under sponsors, and you'll find a link to discoverireland.com. Delighted to be joined by a writer, photographer, uh, 
team and couple, married couple. Um, could I could I see the book, please? I want to see that right off the bat. You've got Charles it. and Daphne said, I've got to do this. This, this is their new book. Uh, my guests are uh, Charles O'Rear and Daphne Larkin. Daphne does the writing. Charles does the photography. He's a former National Geographic photographer, so I guess he knows his way around a camera. Oh, this is incredible. Just before the, uh, during the commercial, they said, you got to see the one, two, three, four-page fold-out of the perfect vineyard. Look at this. Unbelievable. This is a coffee table book, a picture book, obviously, about Napa. Charles and Daphne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Pretty Good nice to, be, to here. be here. Nice to have you both here. Um, wow. This is, I gather this is probably started as a labor of love years ago? It, it, uh, yes, it did start as actually more than of a labor of love. Just how about labor? <laughs> <laughs> I was sent here in, the, in 1978 by National Geographic magazine. And where were you living at the time? I was living out of a suitcase. Okay. I, was think mail, I think my mail was going to Los Angeles or something like that. Okay. I was on the road 11 months And what was the year. assignment? Did, were they doing a piece on the Napa Valley? Napa Valley, 1978. Okay. They said, hey, go out there because there's a little-known area called Napa Valley. I'm trying and, to imagine that. Yeah. At that time, well, at the, in 78, I think there was probably fewer than 100 wineries, maybe 50 wineries at that time. And now we have uh, more than 400. Right. So it has grown that much. So, yes, it was a labor of love and labor. It's brought me out here. To, to make an article in the magazine. It was really one of the first major articles, I think, to appear in national press and about, national publication. About the Napa phenomenon. Did you do the article as well? No, I didn't. Uh, I uh, only made the photographs. Of course, for National Geographic, they always like to think that's was, the best part. I was going to say, don't ever say only. <laughs> uh, when I was a Washington Post reporter, I, uh, you know, I'd go in to re interview somebody, and they'd say, who's that guy? Oh, that's just the photographer. Just the, that's right. I'm only a photographer. <laughs> I learned after, very quickly, you don't say that's just the photographer. Yeah. <laughs> not to the photographer, anyway. <laughs> you get your wrist slapped when you do that. Now, Daphne was uh, not, was not, you two were not together at that point? We were not. I don't think our marriage could have survived, Chuck, being gone 11 months out of 12. <laughs> oh, so you were on the road all the time. Okay, so you came here and shot the Napa Valley, and then yes. how did you wind up moving here? Napa Valley, I realized probably within the first 10 minutes I was here, this is a pretty nice place. And in fact, the book uh, has a lot of the nice photographs. I had had the opportunity to see a lot of the country before I came here. Sounds like it. It's a lot yeah. of the world, perhaps. Well, actually, only the country at that point. And I okay. thought, well, I think this is pretty special. Well, then from that time on, 78, all through the 80s and 90s, I had the opportunity to see most of the world. And I think I, I think they have me in maybe 25 countries. Uh, I saw a lot, and I kept coming back here and thinking, this is really nicer than, and more beautiful than any place I've been. So maybe it really ought to be home. It seemed to be the place I gravitated to. I didn't know a thing about wine when I came here other than I enjoyed it. And I suspect in the late 70s, there wasn't, you know, the wine wasn't not, not only not known well, uh, I don't know if it was as good as it is today. Right. And it keeps getting better and better. And, uh, and how did Daphne come into the picture? Or when did Daphne, I should say? Daphne came into the picture maybe 15 years ago. Okay. And we were talking about the Bliss photograph uh, between us, which is a Microsoft screensaver, which came out about seven or eight, nine years ago. Now, you, now wait a minute. Back up. This is a picture of uh, a, a beautiful blue sky with a hill in the foreground. Yes. And did you, did you shoot that for National Geographic Traveler? Nope. Nope. I shot it for myself, actually, because I owned a photo agency in Los Angeles, so I was constantly looking for photographs when I wasn't working for National Geographic. And Microsoft bought that photo. And Microsoft bought that. Do well, you get anyway, any sort of residuals or no? 
Uh, if I had known what I know today, Boy, you we did. would have had a different contract. <laughs> All right, well, we, yes. let's, let's let Daphne join the conversation here. So, Daphne, you, uh, what were you doing while he was running around the world? Well, by the time he stopped running around the world, we got together. And, in fact, he was coming down to visit me uh, in, court, in Marin County from Napa Valley when he saw that picture. And uh -huh. stopped the car and took the famous Bliss photograph. So it happened because of Daphne. So well, he was. We were that. It's all her fault. <laughs> I can see that. So we consider that picture pr picture pretty special. And does Microsoft still use it as a screen? It's still the screensaver. It's it was, still out there. It was all used yeah. on Microsoft XP, and I think one of the other versions that came out with it a few years ago wasn't as successful. So still today we see it. Everywhere. everywhere. Whenever I'm we like travel, you know, it could be Burma or Thailand or India. It's on the hotel. There it is. There it is. So clearly you started taking more pictures. You, and and yes. Daphne, were you, you were writing? I was always writing. I was a reporter in New York for Newsweek and ah. for the United Nations and for television. Okay. So this was, a, this was a marriage of a photographer and a writer. Perfect. Perfect combination. Right. And you were already in San Francisco. Were you living in Napa by then? I was living in Napa. Oh, okay. All or, right. or at least this is, was where I got my mail and my phone ran here. Right. Right. And uh, and how many of these pictures, did any of the pictures in your book, in the in mm -hmm. the book Napa Valley, The Land, the Wine, the People, mm -hmm. are any, were any of these pictures in the original National Geographic story? Actually, yes, they were. Good question. Oh, um, there were one or two. And in fact, there was a at least one I'm thinking of right yeah, now. We historical. have more than 300 photographs. That's why I'm sort of sure. Sure, now I can and understand. I, why. I, I, I need you to pinpoint them, but it's I, interesting I, that a couple I, still... They were. I mean, this is the 10th book I've done. So having had thousands of photographs published, my brain starts to lose track of... How many on the wine country? There's more than 300 in that book. No, but how many books on the wine country have you done? Oh, on, this, on our wine country, this is the third one I've done on Napa but Valley. But 10 on wine regions around the world. Yes. I see, but the third on Napa. Oh, so mm. you've done other books we've on done other, the wine regions. We've done books regions. on Chardonnay, Cabernet, uh, and this is the third one on Napa. And our most beautiful, and our biggest, and the one we're most proud of. And Daphne, do you go overseas if, you, did, if you're doing a book on... Did you, have you done a book on Bordeaux? I guess. Actually, I was with Chuck when he was shooting the wine harvest around the world for um, for Corbis, which is owned by Bill Gates, sure, which is houses Chuck's photographs. Uh, and were you did you write for I, that book as well? I wasn't writing. I was just having a good time. Okay. But we did a book called Wine Across America four years ago, and we traveled to 40 of the 50 states, a coffee table book. And that was pretty amazing to see. Wine, wine is made in every state in this country. How long so, did it take you to travel across the country? A couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we can stretch it out. <laughs> so do you both, you live in Napa now, obviously. We, live in we do. Mm -hmm. You do. Okay. And uh, we're going to talk in the, in, in the next segment, by the way, we're going to talk with a friend of yours uh, who does, who travels around the world taking pictures with her husband, Peter Menzel. It's Faith DeLucio. Boy, she sets new records in travel. She really does. <laughs> she really does. Um, well, I, I am just intrigued by this book because I, I love these foldouts. This this picture. How did? What kind of camera did you use to take the picture? This four-page foldout of the perfect great, uh, vineyard. Yeah, that's that. That's always a great question when people say that's a great photograph. What camera did you use? And when Daphne makes a wonderful dinner, I say, Daphne, what pans did you use to cook that dinner? Yeah. It, oh, come on. I would ask <laughs> Daphne that. Uh, it's not a, it's really not about the camera. I think it's more of a technique. And in the style that I learned at National Geographic and having whatever 25 stories published in the magazine, there was a style to that. And that's reflected in the book. I try to get into to showing what does the scenery look like? What do the people look like? What do they do? Let's see close ups. Let's see far away. And much in that style of the magazine. Are those four separate exposures, or is that all one picture? 
The fold-out would be, that's a good question, the uh, fold-out of the vineyard would be five or six different photographs, okay. which are okay. stitched together I, I in something called Photoshop. Right. What do you normally shoot with? What kind of camera? Mm -hmm. At Nikon's. Nikon's. Yeah, but there's everything out there is good these days. I just use Nikon because that's what I've always used. And do you shoot digital now? Totally, totally. Always. I hope I never have to see a roll of film again. <laughs> <laughs> and I presume you write on a computer, not a typewriter, Daphne. Exactly. Uh, well, this is, a, this is a fabulous book. It weighs about 40 pounds. Can we talk about where you can get it? Of course. We don't want our listeners not able to get it. Yes. Where can they get it? You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at WineViews.com. Or you can get it throughout the Napa Valley throughout, in many, many wine-recent and bookstores here. Well, let me tell the, the listeners the title again. Napa Valley, The Land, The Wine, The People by Charles O'Rear. That's O-R-E-A-R. And Daphne Larkin, L-A-R-K-I-N. And WineViews Publishing. So WineViews.com is uh, along wineviews. with Amazon. That's and it. when did the book come out? book came out this summer. This summer, so mm -hmm. this, this is a new book. Reasonably new. That's How is right. it working together, you guys? I guess if you went across country for a couple of years doing wineries in every state, you must get along well. We, we had a ball. We love to do a project like this together. It's, it's really fun because we're both doing what we really love to do and what we feel passionate about. And what are you working on now? Selling this book. <laughs> <laughs> Promoting this book. Well, I'm so glad you could stop by and uh, uh, promote it with me. Yeah. And uh, I envy you living in Napa. Well done, Charles. Good idea. Stick around. We'll be back in just a few moments. Right here from Napa Valley, I'm Rudy Maxa. You're in Rudy Maxa's world. Call now to talk to Rudy Maxa at 800-387-8025. You can also email the show anytime at info at rudymaxa.com. Attention savvy travelers, Rudy Maxa here. If you're like me, you can't afford to take chances when you travel. You need medical evacuation service that's dependable and won't cost you a fortune in hidden fees. You need MedJet Assist. As a member, if you're hospitalized over 150 miles from home, MedJet will arrange medical transfer to the hospital of your choice free of charge. Believe me, you won't find protection like this from any other company, which is why I'm a member. It's time to travel smarter. Visit TakeTripsNotChances.com and sign up today. MedJet Assist. Take trips, not chances. I'm a teacher, and my kids keep me going all day. My feet needed help. I was using a gel insole when I heard about the ProFoot 2-ounce Miracle insole. Only the 2-ounce Miracle is made with custom-forming VitaFoam to keep your feet steady and comfortable. The 2-ounce Miracle insoles conform to the unique shape of your feet, just like custom orthotics. Plus, they cushion and support your feet for amazing comfort. The lightweight 2-ounce Miracle insoles really help my feet. Try the ProFoot 2-ounce Miracle insole, available at Walgreens, Rite Aid, and other fine stores. Participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. 33 minutes after the hour, welcome back to Rudy Maxa's World. Nice to have you with us this weekend. Uh, we're coming to you from Meadowood, a fabulous resort in the Napa Valley, and we're here in honor of their 12 days of Christmas, which is 12 nights of chefs from around the world who come and cook, and their wine is matched with uh, Napa uh, Vintner's uh, wine. Uh, we just finished talking to a husband and wife, writer-photographer team, and I'm delighted to be joined by half of another husband-writer-photographer team who also lives here 
in Napa and works here in Napa. Her name is Faith DeLucio. She's the writer half, uh, the brains behind the outfit. As we used to say at the Washington Post, oh, he's just a photographer, which really irritated photographers, Faith. Do you hear that sometimes? Uh, it would really irritate Peter if he were sitting here right now. I know he would. I hope he doesn't have time to listen uh, uh, listen to the show right now. Oh, Pers- he'll be he'll be wrapped. You probably know Peter Menzel and Faith DeLucio's books. They are incredible incredibly wonderful productions. They're beautiful photography, great information, great writing. They go to places in the world uh, most people never even hear about, let alone sleep overnight in. Uh, Their latest book is called uh, uh, What I Eat, Around the World in 80 Days. And what Faith and Peter have... It's actually Around the World in 80 Diets. 80 Diets, excuse me. 80 Diets, 80 Days. (laughs) Wish we'd written that book. Movie rights, be a lot of money. Yep. What I eat around the world in 80 diets. And one thing that, that sort of the trademark that Faith and Peter have made is, is going to into individuals' lives. And in the case of this book, putting out really on everything they eat in a week, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. It, it's not it, the first book, Hungry Planet, uh, where we had families. That was a week's worth of food. So this book, What I Eat, was literally one day's worth of food, just a snapshot in time. For 80 people around the world, and they're one day's worth of food. One day's worth of food. And you interview them about why they eat, what they eat? Exactly, yeah. I mean, sort of, you know, fly on the wall, watch them eat first, and um, and then interview them for what Peter always considers days of interview, which is actually not days at all. <laughs> and, and he's snapping pictures the whole time. And then we formulate some kind of an idea of what exactly the food portrait will look at, what what are the, the foods that are the, are the most, you know, have the most primacy in the diet and those sort of then sort of take center stage in the food portrait that we then and to And to give our listeners an idea of the range of folks that might be, that are included in a book like this. Oh, continent to continent, Africa. But I mean, give me a specific person and what. Uh, well, in the, uh, well, the Kibera slum in uh, Kenya, uh, we did, um, uh, Rosaline, and so her day's worth of food is porridge-centric. And throughout Africa, you're going to find a whole lot of of people's diets are going to be centered around some kind of porridge, like a corn porridge, which was hers, with a little bit of meat, but not much, because they can't really afford to eat a whole lot of meat. And on the flip side, I will say uh, to our listeners that Peter and Faith are old friends of mine, and you came to Minnesota, and weren't you interviewed somebody who worked at the Mall of America? Am I recalling we, correctly? We did. For this book, What I Eat, uh, we did. We, uh, we followed uh, Tiffany around, who uh, is, um, this, was in school at the time, and so she worked in the amusement part section. And we did her day's worth of food, and it was largely at the time, not anymore. She loves to tell me that she doesn't eat that way anymore. It was almost all fast food because that's what was available to her. It's what she could afford. Did you change your life or no? You know, I, I think in some cases we have probably, we have never changed anyone's life, but they've changed their life because they've done the kind of, you know, the work with us that they've done. So she, you can't help but look at your diet when it's sitting in front of you. And it's been so photographed forever in a book. Photographed. It's, and it's, then you break it down by, by, carb, by, uh, by calories. calories. We do the calorie count. We work with nutritionists at um, UC Davis, and we... You know, it's it's a lot easier for some foods, like fast food is pretty easy to figure out the calories for because you can get that nutritional information. But we did nutritional breakdowns, you know, for example, um, in, uh, uh, you know, Nuko Saruni in, also in Africa with her day's worth of food, which again was also porridge-centric, but I had to deconstruct the recipe for her porridge. 
and deconstruct the recipe for her tea, for example, and then um, basically provide some kind of a, a working list to our nutritionists. And all that sounds, you know, pretty technical. And we have a, basically a methodology for all of the people that we cover, but then we have to then bring it to life. And that's what we do with the interviews and with um, the daily life photography, which Peter's so good at, and then these food portraits. Yeah, I don't want anybody to think this is a technical book. This is an amazing, it's a great coffee table because somebody, I, I watch people, I have it in my home, I watch somebody open it up and they basically can't put it down because of these fabulous color portraits of this of an individual from a walk of life, probably 90% of which most of us can't imagine. I mean, you do people from all over the world. All over the world, yeah. I mean, if you look at, for example, in China, we did an extreme uh, gamer. He literally sat in his chair at the time we covered him. He was sitting in his chair. He rented his chair and lived in that chair in a gaming facility and played Internet games. That's what he did for six months. So we did his day's worth of food, which basically was food that he ordered in from down the street that came to his desk. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I mean, this, this, this book is just fascinating. You've got this great portrait of this person and the food they eat in a day and then this sort of back history on that person and what they eat. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's fascinating. The book is called What I Eat Around the World in 80 Diets. You can find more information not only in this book, but other books by Peter and Faith, uh, including, I think, one of their classics, Material World, where they visited people all over the world and had them put all their material possessions out in their front yard and photographed a portrait of them with it, again, in so many different walks of life. You can find more information by going to menzelphoto.com, M-E-N-Z-E-L. Faith, thanks so much for joining us today. Rudy Max's world is coming right back. So get on the phone now at 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. You can also enjoy the program anytime at rudymaxa.com. Well, I'm a salesman, and I'm on my feet all day long. So comfort's really important to me. That's why I tried the Profoot 2-ounce Miracle insoles. Only the 2-ounce Miracle is made with custom-forming Vitafoam to keep your feet steady and comfortable. The Profoot 2-ounce Miracle insoles conform to the unique shape of your feet, just like custom orthotics. Plus, they cushion and support your feet for amazing comfort. What a huge difference they make. It's really a miracle. Try the Profoot 2-ounce Miracle insole, available at Walgreens, Rite Aid, and other fine stores. For over 100 years, the company store has offered the ultimate in high-quality handcrafted products. Everything from comforters and sheets and bed pillows to towels, rugs, quilts, and so much more. Find the comfort you're looking for this holiday season and for many years to come. Go to thecompanystore.com and enter code COMFORT to receive 15% off your entire order and free shipping. That's thecompanystore.com. The Company Store. We're all about comfort. I'm sure you're thinking, boy, I'd like to pay less for my car insurance, but switching seems like a lot of work. All the hassle and whatnot. Well, I'm here to tell you that is simply not the case. Geico makes it so easy to switch and start saving money straight away without getting buried in a ton of paperwork. You know, that actually happened to me once. Literally, I was buried under my income taxes for six days. Haunting, really. For a free rate quote, visit Geico.com. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Ireland invites you to the exclusive Cliff Corknickles. Intrigued by Cliff Corknickles? It's simple. After gasping at the cliffs of Moor, too exhausted to talk, one starts listening to the chronicles of the locals in Cork, known for spinning a good yarn. Bring a fresh pot of tea, because in a land famous for its wool, the yarn can last all night. Cliffs of Moor, Cork, Chronicles, Cliff Corknickles. Flex that mouth and brace those ears. Take a vacation from the typical vacation. DiscoverIreland.com Find great value vacation offers at DiscoverIreland.com
Hey folks, Rudy Maxa here with an important question. Who's watching your home when you're not there or even when you are? Well, it could be a burglar. Burglars prefer to break in often when they think no one is home or when they think no one will stop them. So don't be an easy target. Now you can get a free security system monitored by ADT, the leader in home security, with 24-hour protection. Just pick up your phone and get free hardware, free medical and fire alert service, and free activation. It's an $850 value. Protect your home by calling your authorized ADT dealer at 866-750-6633. You'll get 24-hour protection and there's no cost for parts or activation. Call now about a free security system monitored by ADT. The number to call is 866-750-6633. That's 866-750-6633. Again, 866-750-6633, or you can also log on to RudyMaxa.com and check out the Sponsors button for more information on these ADT security savings. This segment of the program is brought to you by MedJet Assist. Unlike other evacuation services, only MedJet Assist lets you decide which hospital will be your final destination. Regardless of the nature of your illness or injury, if you're hospitalized while traveling, they'll be there for you. So take trips, not chances, and visit MedJetAssist.com or go to RudyMaxa.com and look under radio sponsors for more info. It's 43 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Rudy Max's World. This weekend, Rudy Max's World is in... In Napa Valley world, a very nice world to be in. And I'm seated looking out over the golf course of Meadowood Resort, which is a very famous resort here in Napa Valley and uh, uh, a special place in life. If you can come here once or twice in your life, you're a very lucky person. It's just a gorgeous setting. The restaurant, uh, as I've mentioned earlier in the show, is in its second year of having received the highest accolade Michelin gives, which is three florets or three stars, as folks say. Uh, so uh, the eating is good here uh, as well. Uh, if you're going to have a three-star restaurant, you've got to have a serious guy uh, who knows about wine, particularly in the Napa Valley where uh, everybody is an expert. And Michael Ireland is my next guest. He is the director, excuse me, the wine director here at the restaurant at Meadowood. It's called the restaurant at Meadowood, capital T-R, the restaurant at Meadowood. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Welcome to uh, Meadowood. Thank you very much. I know you used to work just down the street at the French Laundry. I did. Or I did not down the road, years. I should say. Yeah. Um, that's three. That's two three-star restaurants you've you've worked at. I did. Yeah. Not bad. Now, I've, the first question I got to ask you is: <laughs> You're here in the middle of Napa Valley. I presume every vintner here would love to have his or her wine on your list sure. because it's a Michelin-starred restaurant. People mm -hmm. come here appreciate wines. They, to see their name would be to see their their bottle in in your collection would be uh, very satisfying. Sure. What kind of? I mean, how it must be. There must be a lot of pressure, a lot of schmoozing going on here. Sure, there is, but I, I think um, you know we're, where we are. We have the luxury of uh, of being to develop some relationships with people, really sort of educate them on what kind of wines we'd like to show uh, in our wine list. And um, the luxury for us is we actually do get to taste pretty much everything uh, people release. And so we can kind of I don't want to say pick and choose, but we but we. we it's a it's a, it's a blessing more than more than a curse uh, to have everybody kind of parade their wines in front of us. Do you have you tasted three hundred wines in Napa Valley? Oh, at least. I would, uh, let me let me change that because <laughs> some vineyards make I mean some wineries make many wines sure. or at least a couple or three. Right. Have you tasted wines from over two hundred wineries? In Napa? I would imagine so. Wow. I, I assume that I, you know, give me, given the time, I could probably you know write down a list for you if you'd like. And this is a job, right? Uh, uh, they call it part of that, your work yeah. day. For some reason, they pay me for it. I'm not sure. Um, 
<laughs> Tell me about the wine collection here at, the, mm -hmm. at Meadowood. Uh, well, we focus obviously uh, on Napa Valley. You know, we're, we're a restaurant sure. here in the heart of uh, one of the greatest wine growing regions in the world. Um, so that's going to be our focus. Do you have any from Sonoma? Uh, we do, of okay. course. Yeah, right. they make some great right. wines over there. Okay, fine. Yeah. We're, we're not elitist okay. at, at all. Um, we're we're uh, uh, equal opportunity uh, here. Um, and even though we are in Napa Valley and we understand that, um, at the same time we have to realize that, you know, having attained the third Michelin star, um, we're a, a world-class uh, restaurant as well. Um, so I want to have those world-class wines to kind of give context to the wines that we have from our home. Um, so we have wines from all over the world as well. And the owner of this uh, resort, Bill Harlan, makes mm -hmm. his own wine. Is, is there any Harlan on good. the list? We, we have. We were lucky enough to have uh, a bit. Um, we have a lot of Bond as well. Mm -hmm. um, we are very fortunate. Uh, and the reason I'm asking Michael this is Harlan is what's called an allocated wine, sure. which is to say you. It's really all almost. All, it's all direct sale, isn't it? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. Which means you, as a consumer, buy it individually. You will not mm -hmm. find Harlan wine for sale in a wine store, for example, and certainly not on many wine lists. Mm -hmm. But uh, you do have it here, so someone can actually come and taste the, the Harlan here. Uh, various vintages and, uh, and various cuvées, yeah. I know a bottle of Harlan for their current release is five hundred dollars. What is a, what is a bottle of Harlan here on the wine list? Uh, it depends on the vintage. Okay. Uh, some some are some are quite expensive. We have some older. Uh, well, they're not going to be less than five hundred dollars, are they? No. <laughs> <laughs> we get a deal. We don't get that much of a deal. Do you like Harlan wine? Michael? Of course. I just course. thought I'd ask. I just wanted to make sure that your your employment here was it was intact. How many people have <laughs> the courage when they come here mm -hmm. to actually ask you uh, for help, and how many are intimidated by you? I would assume that more often than not, people people have the courage to ask, and I, and I would encourage people to ask. Um, you know, sure. I, I feel like I know the food and the wine of our restaurant a little better than than anyone walking in off the street. And you know, it's my job to help you find what you want. That doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to stir you into a three thousand dollar bottle of wine. You know, I want to find the perfect wine for you for the dinner, uh, for your experience. And that's the most important thing. And and what is what is the way for folks who you know I I. I constantly run into folks who, first of all, are intimidated by travel, mm -hmm. and then they're intimidated by, quote, fancy, unquote, restaurants. Sure. Um, what's the proper way? They, you, call, they call, you, you, you ask your waiter if you can talk to the sommelier, uh, the wine expert, and then they say, look, here's what we've ordered. Can sure. you suggest a wine? It's, it's that simple, really, isn't it? Uh, definitely, and it can even get more simple than that. You know, if, if I see you at the wine list, you know, looking over things, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come to the table and, and ask if I can be of any service, because that's really what I'm there for. I got a couple more questions for you. Will you stay with us through the commercial and come sure. back with me? Of course. All right, thanks. We'll be right back. We're talking with uh, Michael Ireland, wine director here at Meadowood. To participate in the program and speak with Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025 or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. To join Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025. You can email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Maxa's World. Welcome back to Napa Valley, to Meadowwood Resort in Rudy Maxa's World. I'm your genial host, Rudy Maxa, coming to the end of the, our second hour. I hate for this to end. I just love being here and love talking about food and wine and, and such a beautiful place in the world. You know, a, a grapevine's got to age about three years before the grapes can be used to make wine. It really doesn't reach full production until it's about... Uh, five years old, and a vine can produce for between 30 and 35 years uh, before its uh, yield begins to decline. But there are such things as old vines that people love. 
that why why do people love old wines? Let's uh, let me explain. If uh, you've just joined the show, I'm sorry. Uh, we're joined here by Michael Ireland. He is the wine director of the restaurant at Meadowood. That's the proper name of the restaurant, the restaurant at Meadowood. I wish you guys get a different. So I don't have to say that every time. The right. restaurant at Meadowood. You gotta want uh, it. I, you do want to want. You do have to want it. Um, uh, what what is I see often on bottles this designation old vines. What sure. does that mean? What's an old vine? So there's no uh, governmental regulation in terms of old vines. It's almost uh, up to the winery what they consider an old vine. So so don't necessarily think that that's a mark of quality. Um, that being said, um, sometimes uh, you get an older vine. Uh, what happens is it starts to produce less fruit as it gets older, but the fruit is more intense, more concentrated. Uh, Always or just sometimes? Usually. Usually. More okay. often than All not, right. I would say. Um, so, you know, the fruit that you get off the vines, while you don't get as much, uh, it's a little more intense. Um, so, you know, it can provide a very uh, interesting bottling for sure. And for example, here, uh, what what might be the average, or is this impossible to determine what might be mm -hmm. the average age of wines, of vines that produce wines here in Napa now? Uh, I would say average age is probably around somewhere between 10 and 20 uh, years. There's a lot of replanting that's gone on, and we had a, about a phylloxera uh, about 20 years ago, which uh, a lot phylloxera of Phylloxera is? Uh, it's a, a, a root louse uh, that uh, decimates the, the vineyard. And very to, bad thing. Very bad thing. You have to pull it out and replant everything. Is there still phylloxera? It's everywhere, yeah. Uh, well, I won't say everywhere. Uh, if you have very sandy soils or you're at altitude, you won't find phylloxera. Um, but it's all over the place in Napa Valley. Still. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what we've done is we've uh, replanted to different rootstock that are more resistant to phylloxera. Um, and then there's some other things that you can do in terms of like uh, biodynamic growing, just a healthier vineyard uh, can sometimes combat that as well. All right, I was talking to you before the break about coming into a fancy restaurant and consulting with someone about wine. So I, I think one of the fears, and you touched on it, and I'd like you to elaborate a little, is that uh, the sommelier, or you're called the wine director, uh, who comes over the table, you're going to try to sort of build the check by getting someone to order a more expensive bottle of wine. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I definitely don't work on commission. Um, so that's the first thing to know, I guess. Do um, some do some sommeliers work? Not that I've seen, not really. Okay, so no. it's not a common thing. No, okay. and and I think you're seeing a, a big schism these days uh, in the world of the sommelier, where you know in the past it's always been some kind of you know guy in a suit, very stuffy, um, looking down on those who don't know much about wine. Well, nowadays I think we see a lot more who are just really into it. You know, I love it when I have guests that come in and and don't know a whole lot about wine, mm -hmm. and I can find a wine that really turns them on. That's like my favorite thing in the whole world. I don't care if it's if it's a fifty dollar bottle or a three thousand dollar bottle. That's that's where I have the fun. Um, and so you're seeing that schism these days, and, and and that's definitely a good thing for for myself, for the guests, for everyone. I remember as a young man visiting Napa for the first time and didn't know anything about wine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew there was red and white and sure. something in between. <laughs> and uh, I, I I went to into a wine bar in San Helena. I just said to the guy, look, I, I really don't know anything about wine. I was twenty something, you know? mm -hmm. and uh, he poured me a bottle of Duckhorn Merlot. Sure. And I tasted it, and it was like nothing I'd ever tasted before. Mm -hmm. um, I got to say, my father, the uh, late Army colonel, uh, his idea of, of wine was pretty was pretty primitive, mm -hmm. and I, I, it was it was a revelation. Sure. And if you can do that as a wine driver, as you say, if somebody comes in who's never tasted something like that, as I did that day at that bar, that right. afternoon that bar, it just opens a whole other world. It was the first time I went, whoa, this I, this isn't wine as I know it. This is really cool. Definitely. And and you still remember that to this day. Uh, to this and day, so I remember it. That's what I want to do for everybody that comes into my restaurant. And how did you become uh, an aficionado of wine? You know, uh, I worked uh, I worked in the service industry through college and uh, went to work in professional sports after college. Uh, I was at a dot-com for a little while that went under. Um, got a fat severance from that and decided to walk the earth for a little while and just uh, I went to a few barrel tastings. Mm -hmm. And started studying wine a little where, bit. Where were you in? The, where where were you living? 
I was living in the South Bay, so San Jose. Okay, well, so you're near wine country. Okay. Definitely, yeah. I grew up in, in, in the Bay Area. Um, and I just realized that in this one little subject of wine, I can learn about history and chemistry and geology and geography and all these different things. Well said. Uh, and it's, it's just an amazing subject, and it's, it's one that I can't, I can't get away from. And so you went to school? No. Uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of self-teaching, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly. I'm involved with the Court of Master Sommeliers. Um, you know, obviously, uh, working at the French Laundry was, you know, quite an education. Um, and a lot of fun and a lot of hard work. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of self, self-education. And uh, I've gone through three levels of the Court of Master Sommeliers, so I'll sit for the master exam for the first time next year. There aren't uh, a lot of hopefully. master sommeliers, are there? No, just about 100 in the U.S., uh, about 170-something worldwide. And you'd like to make it 180? I, I definitely would. <laughs> well, you, you, you speak of wine in a way that I love hearing someone uh, put it. And I, I hope it makes some listeners more comfortable about taking a chance. Oh, definitely. Um, at the next restaurant and talking to a wine expert who might be on the floor there and saying, you know, uh, help me out here. Definitely. That's what we're there for. And, and if somebody's not doing that, then they're not doing their job. And I can see how you would how it'd be a, a terrific feeling to uh, turn someone on to, to wine for the first time. Definitely. Where they start wanting to get more interested in where it comes from and why it tastes the way it does and so on. Definitely. Well, I know you're in the middle of uh, the 12 days of Christmas here, and mm-hmm. I know you're pairing a lot of wines uh, this evening and for a few more days this week. So uh, I wish you uh, great success. Thank you very much. Michael Ireland me. is the director, the wine director here at Meadowood. Stop in, say hello, help me choose a wine. I want to give a special thanks to Meadowood, especially, especially Jennifer Chiesa and Anne-Marie Conover. Also, thank you to Michael Baird, our on-site engineer. Uh, Jeff Riders, our engineer uh, back in the home studio in Connecticut. And thank you to Anna Schofield, my executive producer. See you next week. listening to Rudy Max's World. And as always, you're hearing Must Hear Radio on the SSI Radio Network.